Hello, and welcome to the Power Your Advice podcast, brought to you by Advisorpedia. In this series, we interview innovators from across the financial services industry to help you understand who they are, what they do, and why that matters to you and your clients. And now, please join your host, Doug Heikinen. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Get ready for a good one. We have the president of Participant Capital, Bernie Wasserman, with us today. Participant Capital provides advisors and their clients access to Class A real estate development opportunities via a suite of investment vehicles. Participant Capital's team has extensive real estate development track record, which spans over 30 years and $3.5 billion invested in 50 properties. Needless to say, it's an interesting time for commercial real estate, so let's get to it. Welcome, Bernie. Uh, Thank you, Doug. Pleasure to meet you. Tell me a little bit about Participant Capital. What kind of advisors do you serve and what type of funds do you offer? Sure. Um, happy to do that. Uh, Participant Capital is a registered investment advisor managing private equity real estate funds. We're based out of the Sunshine State here in Florida. Uh, we primarily invest in real estate development projects, as you as you mentioned earlier. And we serve you know a plethora of wealth advisors across the country. Uh, and globe, we we have investment vehicles that cater to the U.S. market. Uh, we have an offshore vehicle in Cayman for the Latin American market, and we're in the process of launching a new vehicle as well in Europe, uh, out of Luxembourg for the European market. So, we try to provide access to um, wealth managers and family offices to real estate development projects that are more typically reserved for institutional investors uh, through through our vehicles and through our affiliation with Royal Palm. So you have a relationship with Royal Palm. Um, that's interesting. Tell us a little bit more about that. Participant Capital is closely affiliated with Royal Palm Companies, which is an established real estate development company here in the state of Florida. We are uh, we were really created to raise capital to invest uh, alongside Royal Palm's institutional investors in the projects that it undertakes. Um, as you mentioned earlier in the call, Royal Palm uh, is been around for 30 plus years and we've developed over 50 uh, properties and put to work uh, several billion dollars to date. We're most known for our involvement in the Miami World Center project, which is kind of like, uh, well, is known as the Hudson Yards of the South. It's a large scale master urban development project. And we were involved um, first with a Paramount Miami World Center, which is a luxury tower that's highly amenitized uh, and includes not only uh, five swimming pools, tennis courts, and a soccer field, but also a lot of retail space. And we're also developing catty corner from that, the Legacy Hotel and Residences, which is another um, tower that's going up almost directly, but you know, kind of catty corner across the street. We're also, Royal Palm is also involved in, uh, you know, smaller sort of more traditional um, garden style apartment development that we do across Florida. Um, so our relationship with them is quite strong in terms of sharing a management team uh, and having access and giving our investors access to these projects, as we like to say, getting in on the ground floor of development. What benefits does private real estate have for the investor portfolios compared with public offerings? That's a great question. Um, so I think most investors are you know, going to be familiar with public REITs, which is a great foray to investing in real estate. But REITs tend to be very, um, I would say, broad-based in their allocation. Either they invest across sectors or invest across regions. 
they provide access and they invest in core real estate, which is you know typically income generating real estate. Uh, so it's a great fixed income alternative and a great opportunity to get some initial exposure to real estate, but you don't really participate in the true value creation um, that exists when you invest in private real estate. So private real estate inherently, because it is a liquid, you have to be able to invest for the long term, let's say six to eight uh, years is a typical sort of term for a real estate fund, a private, a private fund. And as a result um, uh, of that, you have the time to undertake larger um, value creation opportunities, be it ground up development like we do, or uh, invest in a value add fund, which is you know kind of a fixer upper type strategy, both of which take time to show returns. And when you think about real estate and you invest in real estate over the longer term, uh, in and out of market cycles, real estate has been a really strong performer. So for those that really want the diversification opportunity that real estate provides, then also the ability to dampen uh, portfolio volatility in their portfolios, private equity real estate can be a, a much more attractive uh, investment. But it's not for everybody. Investors really need to understand um, that private tenants, you know, is, is a liquid. It's a long-term lockup. And uh, and the size of commitment is significantly larger than what you would normally expect when you buy a REIT, which you can buy for a few hundred or a few thousand dollars. Are there strategies within private real estate that are positioned to perform well in this high interest rate market? That's another great question. And I would say yes, uh, within sort of the broad based strategies of core value add and opportunistic, um, there are always going to be opportunities. The question really becomes more about the regional focus and the property type focus. Uh, if you're invested, for instance, in property types like apartments, you know, rentals that reprice regularly and keep pace with inflation, you, you can be more insulated and can still do very well in a high interest rate environment. Similarly, value add and opportunistic strategies, which require greater capital commitments and take a longer cycle to uh, time to generate results, can again perform well depending on the property type and the location. You know, we're very, very fond of the Sun Belt, which is where we, we tend to invest um, in primarily in the state of Florida. And it has been the drivers that are bringing people to uh, to Florida have been a little bit longer lasting uh, and have, um, you know, have a sustainability, which makes them attractive in and out of uh, market cycles. So we think that, you know, within each real estate strategy, there is an opportunity, but you got to drill down a bit more. And I think what people are talking about a lot today is the opportunity in private credit, um, private, private credit, given that banks are, um, you know, leaving commercial real estate in terms of um, being less uh, active in, in the commercial real estate market. And perhaps um, leverage levels have come in a little bit um, there is a void that is being filled by private credit funds, which again are extremely large and able to understand and, and participate in the risk. So there's an opportunity there as well. Um, as I said earlier, we, we tend to favor, you know, in terms of market, the Sun Belt, particularly Florida. We like multifamily, uh, pretty much everything we do, whether it's um, development today um, or, you know, we take a look at what we've done in the past. Uh, Everything we build is either, uh, you know, straight up residential, multifamily, or a mixed-use property that's anchored by that. 
because we, we like the stability in terms of providing housing uh, that always fills a need. And in a growing market um, like Florida's major metros that are benefiting from a significant migration, there's always an opportunity um, for development. What are the considerations when investing in private real estate? How do you examine location versus strategy and sector? Uh, again, another that's a good question. I, I would say what, what we do is kind of very basic block and tackling, right? We look at uh, the location specifically uh, in, our, in our market and we assess migration is, is, the, is the biggest driver. And of course, you know, supply. Those are the two things that drive all kind of real estate investment. So we will look at a market and let's say in an, in an urban location or building garden style uh, uh, development project. We'll be looking at its proximity to um, working centers. Uh, we'll look at its proximity to highways, um, the historical sort of migration trends coming to that area, um, and what new supply is expected to come online. And then we'll make an assessment based on what the history has been, and we'll project that out based on our, our view of the market. Um, we obviously have a very strong view on Florida. Uh, and then we take a look at where, let's say, on a multifamily project, we look at rents and, and where where they are. And you know, obviously, we've had significant upward growth in rent uh, the last few years, and it's tapered off in the last several months. But we're starting off at a much higher base level than what we had for rents a couple of years ago. And what that means is the development can you know still make sense in markets like ours, because even if we go back to you know the average rent growths, like national average rent growths are closer to three percent, we go back to those levels. You know, development still makes sense in these markets. So we, you know, I would say we are very much focused on on fundamentals when it comes to location. When you look at just the value of the location, accessibility, and the migration trends, and, and the supply that's coming online, uh, so we make sure that we're getting into a market where supply is constrained, which tends to be very much so the case when it comes to multifamily in the Sun Belt, but particularly in the, the growing metros of, of Florida. When looking at these type of investments, there's certainly risks that need to be considered. What are some of them and which areas should advisors be more careful in? Well, I think what we're talking, we hear talked about a lot today, sort of the concerns over office and the office sector. And, and I think that when um, when you're looking at property type, I think that's become the most topical uh, and solutions, the market always tends to find a solution to a, a problem. And conversion has been um, one of the hot topics, you know, of late. Uh, it tends to work well, let's say, if you're trying to convert a mall or strip mall that's, you know, again, in a good location, easily accessible to major highways. Um, that can make sense to convert that to multifamily, but it might not be so easy in a downtown um location to basically convert a large tower um, to, to residential because of the cost and sort of the layout. So I would say the the um, the, the you know concern is, is is always going to be about in this market, I think you know office tends to be a, a lot of that focus and rising interest rates is another focus um, because you want to make sure that the increased cost of construction is something that um, you know can still be absorbed by projected you know, rent growth and that people aren't projecting out future rent growth based on the, the recent past, which is not likely to continue. We're going to revert more to, to the mean in, in, the, in the coming years. Um, but we do think that uh, the areas for investors to consider is location, property type, 
and the managers that they're they're working with to make sure that they have the experience in and out of market cycles, especially when you're dealing with uh, private real estate, given the long horizon investment horizon, you want to make sure um, that it's someone who's, who's adapted dealing with hiccups because there's always going to be hiccups. I think uh, you know, we, as we've seen these once in a lifetime events are happening more and more often. So the more experience the manager has in dealing with uh, real estate, uh, the better off the investor is going to be. Yeah. What should advisors consider when selecting managers and funds for their clients? I guess it has to be important to have a strong development partner. If you're going to be investing in a real estate development, it makes very good sense to have a work with a firm that either has an integrated or affiliated development partner. Uh, and the reason I say that is, is twofold. One is experience. There's no substitute for experience. And, you know, development is kind of like that old joke, right? Where we always, um, I think it was my grandfather used to tell this to me, right? We make plans and God laughs, right? And that's how development is, right? You make plans, you set out to build something a certain way, and there's always changes. Anybody who's remodeled uh, something in their home knows that, you know, construction always takes longer and there's always issues. So there's no substitute for, for experience. The other part of it is cost. When you're a real estate um fund manager. And if you don't have the in-house experience for development, you're going to end up outsourcing that to somebody else. And when you do that, you may, you know, you can tell your investor that you're getting best of breed of a development partner, but at the end of the day, you're also double dipping because you're going to end up paying that developer uh, fees that again are um, being charged at the development level. And then you're investors being charged again uh, at the fund level when it comes to things like, you know, profit participations. What challenges do advisors have when accessing real estate investment opportunities today? Have solutions evolved over the years? There has definitely been a plethora of new hybrid type, uh, and when I say hybrid, sort of kind of spanning or trying to fill the gap between private and public real estate. And I think that there's always going to be creative minds that uh, will come up with interesting ways to access um, real estate. I think that development has been the purview really of large institutional investors. And so funds like ours, specifically our multifamily fund that we're launching today, which is going to invest uh, primarily in uh, garden style real estate development projects in places like Tampa and Orlando and in Florida uh, is something that you didn't see a lot of before. So I think that there is a, uh, an opportunity or greater access to development, but at the same time, in terms of you know the hybrid model, you have um, you know you have your REITs, you have your non-traded REITs, which, um, as the name implies, are not traded and, and were intended to provide a broad array of investors access to um, real estate investments. And some of them are quite quite large. They also built in inherent protections on uh, that would. Uh, prevent uh, kind of like a run on the bank, like we saw with uh, SDB that you know created their bankruptcy. These larger funds that have raised significant amounts of capital um, provided liquidity windows. I mean, good times, um, you were able to liquidate um, or uh, manage your cash flow to provide for redemptions, but they also capped those redemptions. And I think investors were surprised when in recent months they. Uh, decided to liquidate their positions in B read or S read, which are the two BMFs when it comes to this product, and found that they were being gated uh, or limited in their redemptions. So I think that it's very much uh, the uh, I would say the uh, 
the job of the investment uh, advisor of managing capital for their clients to align their own clients' liquidity needs with the investment that they select. And if they're selecting um, a semi-private uh, option, they should be sure that they, they understand you know, what the liquidity constraints are. What does the future hold for you guys at Participant? Are you excited about what hap- what's happening out there? We're very excited. I think that you know people tend, you know, when things get difficult, people tend to take a step back, right? And uh, but at least on the investor side. But if you're on the development side, um, you know, you're always developing because you're always looking, you know, down the road. Real estate development is not a short-term um, or short-horizon type investment. So as some investors might reassess their sort of investment position overall. You know, developers and fund managers like ourselves, we're, you know, we're looking at the future. And where we're really excited is about the future for Florida. We've seen migration, um, you know, really pick up during the pandemic because of sort of the lifestyle and the opportunity that Florida, you know, represents not only for individuals, but um, for, uh, you know, for corporations that are looking for, you know, lower taxation. Um, they're coming in droves. And so with this corporate migration, um, and you know, private migration, you know, individual migration alongside it, you see that there's just uh, a need for housing is quite significant. So we believe that the opportunity in uh, in our markets is is great, and we think we're now you know very well positioned because you know there's uh, there's no substitute for having experience and opportunity. And when those two things align, there's uh, you know it's it, it's a great time, and that's what we feel is happening now um, because. Look, things got very heated in the last couple of years, and we had the pandemic where construction prices uh, were elevated, and now we have high interest rates. But because valuations here have held up very, very well, and rents have held up very, very well, and the demand is still here, uh, it still makes sense not to, you know, to build for the future because you're looking at, you know, not what real estate you need today, but what you're going to need in three, five, six years down the road. Uh, and we think that opportunity is still very, very strong here in the state of Florida. Interesting stuff, Bernie. Thanks so much for joining us. Best of luck to you guys. Thank you so much. To learn more about Participant Capital, please visit participantcapital.com. Please follow us for timely updates on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all at Advisorpedia. For everyone at Advisorpedia, our producer, Julia Smolin, and the Power Your Advice podcast team, this is Doug Heikinen.